podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Eddie Gibson. Welcome once again to Off The Wall, the podcast uh, where we give you a little flavour of everything that's going on over on the paywall side of Anfield Index at Anfield Index Pro or AI Pro as we like to call it. Now, it's been a busy week for uh, for Liverpool. We had that win over Arsenal and then uh, obviously the Champions League draw took place uh, in Monaco last night and we saw a couple of personal awards for uh, Alisson and Virgil van Dijk as well, so congratulations to them. The draw uh, saw Liverpool pitted against Napoli, Salzburg and Genk, so uh, we've now got the dates for that as well. Tuesday, the September the 17th, uh, we start away at Napoli, 8pm uh, for that one in the UK. Uh, then it's Wednesday, October the 2nd, where Liverpool take on Salzburg, again at 8pm at Anfield. Then we travel to Belgium to take on Genk, another 8pm on October the 23rd. November the 5th sees Liverpool host Genk uh, at 8pm. Then on Wednesday the 27th of November, we host Napoli at 8pm. Then the final game is a 5.55 UK time. We've done well to avoid those uh, those earlier games, but not our game in Austria. So that's uh, Salzburg against Liverpool, December the 10th, Tuesday, uh, 5.55pm UK. Now, I've just finished listening to our Euro Incision podcast over on AI Pro, where uh, Nina Kauser was joined by German football expert Jonathan Hardin to look at all the runners and riders and the impact the draw and the schedule will affect uh, on all the teams taking part. So do go and have a listen to that one if you're not yet on AI Pro. It's a a real good uh, analysis and uh, appraisal of uh, how the runners and riders stack up for this year's Champions League, which of course uh, Liverpool is a champion of Europe will be looking to defend this time. Uh, what are your thoughts on those fixtures? Uh, do let us know. Uh, we love to have feedback. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We have two Twitter accounts. There's at uh, Anfield Index uh, and there's at Anfield Index Pro for uh, for the paywall side of things. Uh, we're also on Facebook at Anfield Index. We can give us your thoughts there. But the best way to give us feedback and the most engaging platform that we have to offer to Liverpool fans. It's completely free. It's called Discord and you can join that community uh, at any time and start taking part in the debate there. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. So as well as the group stage draw for the Champions League, uh, Liverpool will also uh, Blessed with uh, two personal awards, uh, Virgil van Dijk, he was named uh, UEFA Men's Player of the Year, and uh, there was also the uh, Champions League Defender of the Season for Virgil as well. There, there is some videos going around on social media, which well, look, it's uh, Virgil sitting alongside Messi and Ronaldo and talking about that uh, comeback over Barcelona last year. It's well worth a well worth a watch if you haven't seen that. Uh, like Nina said on the Euro Incision podcast, mentioned his face hardly moves. There's just no emotion, just complete voice. Uh, really good, and obviously to see uh, to see. Leo Messi's reaction to what Virgil's saying there as well. Uh, we do know Messi really does understand English, I think. <laughs> and uh, obviously Alisson, the Champions League goalkeeper of the season. So well done to those two guys. Now, uh, if you've not been listening to AI Pro, you you, you may not realise we've been doing a series called The Kings of Europe, where uh, Gags decided after we uh, won big ears again in Madrid that we would do a series featuring uh, every player that took part in the success. And we've got some guests that talked about the background of those players and uh, where things might go for them in the future, their strengths, their qualities, and, and how they all came together for that amazing success in Madrid. Now, we've uh, 
done some episodes on that and i'm going to give you one today uh the first part of that series was already done on off the wall it was uh part one on jürgen klopp uh, part two on jürgen klopp is available uh, on ai pro on the paywall side so uh, you can go and listen to part two as well as episodes on allison uh, who we just mentioned with his award last night trent alexander arnold uh, andy robertson Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, and we've done Jordan Henderson as well. Now, the episode I'm going to give you shortly is about Virgil van Dijk, seeing as he was crowned uh, UEFA Men's Player of the Year. So I'm going to let you listen to the whole episode of Virgil van Dijk's uh, Kings of Europe episode very, very soon. Now, uh, we will be continuing this series with a new season start, and we've got back to our regular match day content. So Trev Downey and the production team have had to have a small break, but fear not, the series will continue, and subscribers should have a couple more episodes uh, dropping onto their chosen podcast listening device uh, during the upcoming international break so, so so look out for them now i mentioned the regular content around reds matches and i just wanted to take this chance before we plow on with the uh, virgil van dyke episode of the king's europe to, to let you know exactly what that entails so before matches, we have a selection of shows to try and whet the appetite for the next game. And that all kicks off with Rival Recon, where Harry Setti is joined by a fan of the team we're about to play uh, to look at how their season has been going, to look at what they think about facing Liverpool. Uh, most of them, are, as things stands with a bit of trepidation, it's always funny to hear fans not predicting even a draw for their own side and predicting a loss. And most of them uh, in hope that it will be a, a narrow defeat, if anything. Uh, so that was uh, there was an Arsenal fan last week that predicted uh, a win for Arsenal but that didn't turn out well then we have uh, AI scouted where uh, Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett take a deep dive on the opponents they look at their strengths and weaknesses and how they expect Jurgen Klopp to uh, set up his team to try and get another three points so uh, that's AI scouted then we have our pro plus preview which comes out on the day that Jurgen Klopp does his uh, obligatory uh pre-match press conference uh that's usually a live podcast that we do on the discord com- community that i mentioned earlier and uh, guy drinkle and gags dissect all the points from uh, from klopp's uh, millwood press conference so they're the three shows that we kind of have it in the build-up to matches then after matches whether it be a win loss or a draw people love to have their say and soak up all the post-match reaction now we really do take post-match very very seriously i'll give you a just a few of the shows that we have around post-match. Uh, I've not mentioned Euro Incision, uh, which is one of the shows, obviously, that I mentioned. I just listened to looking at the Europeans League games. Obviously, Nina is joined by a guest, a European football expert, to, to look through that. But the ones that we're going to look at immediately after the Premier League games are Post-Match Raw. That's one of the most popular shows on AI Pro, and it starts recording immediately on the final whistle. Trev Downey poses the questions to the likes of Dave Hendrick, Harry Setti, Carl Matcher, and Mo Tratra. Uh top credit to these guys because i i would really struggle to to be on that show regularly where you take all that emotion from watching the game and then immediately jump on a podcast to discuss it a uh, very very difficult but a fantastic show and always one that our listeners look forward to then nina kauza she has her post-match call-in show whilst that's not an ai pro show and you can all listen to that on, on anfield indirect completely free when you subscribe to ai pro you can listen to this show live on our discord platform so live podcasting uh, and you can take part in the call in to ask questions to, to nina on our panel the next show i'm going to talk about is rate don't hate now Nothing gets people's ears to prick up as much as rating the players out of 10 for their performance in the match that's just finished. And as an AI Pro subscriber, you can get to submit your own ratings and have them discussed along with the ratings from the likes of the Liverpool Echo, the Anfield Rap, and this is Anfield uh, by Kay and his panel of Tadiwa and Guy Drinkle. Uh, always a fascinating show to see how the, the guys come up with their ratings. And I know Tadiwa uh, really set uh, set minds racing when he uh, 
rated Andy Robertson against Arsenal with a four last week. Uh, unbelievable stuff. Then there's Tactics Weekly. Uh, Dan Rhodes is joined by uh, our tactical analyst Lee Scott uh, and Hamza. They look at the tactical approach of, of both managers and kind of see whether the game was won, drawn or lost. So... Uh, Always a fascinating listen as well. Then there's Under Pressure, our flagship analytics show with Gags Tandon, Dan Kennett, Simon Brundish, and Dan Rhodes. Hugely acclaimed show, uh, which takes a, a look at the key stats and numbers from the last match, and often quoted in the mainstream media, in fact, by the likes of Jonathan Norcroft in the Sunday Times. And uh, just this week by Football 365, they looked at uh, the press and stats and some of the charts and heat maps that uh, Gags and the guys came up with on that show, uh, looking at the Arsenal game. Then we have Mulby on the spot, uh, you want the thoughts of ex-players and uh, and you won't find a better former player to give you them than uh, Jan Molby. Uh, he will look at the game that's just passed and look forward to the next one. And Trev Downey, in his own unique style, draws the gold from uh, from the Great Dane every week. Uh, absolutely one of the most popular shows on the channel and uh, worth its weight in gold as a podcast. It really is. I, I really do enjoy that show and hearing what Jan has to say. So how do you get hold of all this content? I hear you ask. Well, you can get a no obligation seven day free trial. That's around 30 podcasts per month. It's often more than that, but uh, you'll get at least 30 podcasts per month. And after your trial, it only costs £4.99 per month or £39.99 per year. And that works out on the annual option of only £3.33 per month. So no more than a couple of cups of coffee for all that amazing content which you can listen to on any podcast device you wish and to get hold of it it's anfieldindex.com forward slash join as simple as that if you don't like what you hear on the seven free trial you just cancel it it's very very simple so without further ado i've taken up too much of your time already here is the kings of europe looking at uefa men's player of the year virgil van dijk just what do you do when your team, one of the greatest many of us have ever seen don the red, finishes with 97 points in the Premier League and wins a sixth European Cup? Well, at Anfield Index Pro, we decided to make a documentary series, something extra special to celebrate that outstanding achievement. Kings of Europe is a major project which marks a real evolution in the ambitions here at AI Pro and one that has focused so much of the creative talent and technical skill of the AI team as we've labored to create a series of shows that are a fitting tribute to those men who raised big ears in Madrid. Strap yourself in then for a series of themed episodes with contributions from a host of familiar voices tied together by a series of links delivered to you by me from a field in rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and it'll be my great honour to guide you through our celebration of the Kings of Europe.
After joining Liverpool in January of 2018, Virgil van Dijk became immediately instrumental in the club's glorious run to the Champions League final and attainment of a top four finish. In his first full season at the club, Van Dijk was named the PFA Player of the Year and starred as Liverpool earned an extraordinary 97 points to finish second in the Premier League by the narrowest of margins. With the Dutch master imperious, the Reds returned to the 2019 UEFA Champions League final where they won and he added to his burgeoning legend and reputation. A deeply private man who courts no attention off the field, and with a quiet devotion to family, Van Dijk is nonetheless the embodiment of charismatic leadership amongst his teammates, who defer to him as the big man. And this is not just because of his enormous physical stature, but due also to the almost instant esteem in which his peers held him. In this Virgil van Dijk special of Kings of Europe, you'll hear our contributors be most effusive in their praise of both the ability and the personality of Liverpool's number four. But just before that, here's Peter McVitie, a Dutch football expert for Goal.com, to sketch this comparatively late bloomer's path to the fields of Anfield Road. Van Dijk sort of came through the Willem II Youth Academy before he made his breakthrough at Groningen, uh, joining them in 2010. He was just uh, 20 years old uh, or 19. Uh, and he make, made his debut for Groningen quite early. Uh, he starts playing. He played on the on the wing in the Europa League playoff game against uh, Ado Den Haag, and he scored two and got an assist. And they won five one, which uh, overturned the five one defeat in the first leg. First leg, and uh, Groningen went on to to win on penalties. But um, so he was really impressive from the very beginning, just not in the. Same position that he would he would make himself really a a star at FC Groningen. Um, he had like two full seasons in the in the first team, and his second year was just exceptional. Uh, he was helping them. He helped them to the playoffs again. Um, at the end of the season, uh, fine odd striker Graziano Pella, who finished twenty seven Eredivisie goals, he praised him as being the only defender in the in the Eredivisie who gave him a challenge praised him for his, his strength in, in one-on-one games and, and said that he was head and shoulders above everybody else and Van Dijk was still only only 21. So at that time um he was obviously one of the one of the best in the in the country. Uh Ajax and PSV were looking at him but uh, PSV had doubts. Ajax decided that they would promote from within, completely overlooking him uh and opting for uh, Stefano Densville and Joe Veltman first from their own youth academy, but then they bought Mike van der Horn for like a million euros more than, than Celtic ended up paying for, for Van Dijk. Now, I mean, the, the divergence and the, the difference in the story since then kind of speaks for itself with the, the path that Van Dijk went on. He just sort of grew from strength to strength going to, to Celtic and overcoming a, a bit of a shaky start, which was down to really his fitness. Um because he'd been injured at first and then he just rose to become a, a, an absolute hero at Celtic and that was just because he had this natural ability to 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 become to command any sort of defence. He was really so calm and composed, so commanding. Um and and as Pelle said, strong in one on one duels he played with uh, looked a lot more experienced than, than he ever was. He just seemed so natural in that role. Um, and it was a sort of uh, easy progress for him to make in Scotland that um, 
yeah, moving to the Premier League was was an easy easy move and one that he probably could have got away with uh, straight from from the Eredivisie. Um, so that sort of says a lot about the the natural sort of talent that he has, even though. In Eredivisie standards, he was a bit he was a bit late in coming through. I mean, he was already um, twenty or nineteen, so uh, usually they they're a bit more experienced actually by that by that age. When he was actually probably a bit underappreciated for, from some uh, and uh, in the Eredivisie, never mind being overlooked by big clubs. So Celtic were really smart to sign him up. It was just a, 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 it must have been a really easy signing for them uh, to to decide on, especially for the the price that they paid. It was about three million euros, um, and so that I mean that just paid dividends. And ever since then, he's just he really has just grown from strength to strength. You can see it. Um, he was overlooked for the Netherlands. It wasn't until he joined Southampton that he got his first call up, uh, which was in October two thousand and fifteen. Um, and then it's just taken like three years for him to rise to the level of being the captain. Um, being the the most impressive and most reliable player in in the in the team, uh, and a, a team that has just a, a a very bright future at the moment, and a lot of that is really down to the the presence of Van Dijk and the the professionalism that he's that he's shown just kind of throughout his throughout his entire professional career. Not many phrases sum Virgil van Dijk up better than Peter's reference to him there as an absolute hero. And his effect on Liverpool Football Club has been almost magical. His excellence and composure has had a stunning alchemical influence on the Reds' rear guard. And what had been the weakest part of the team for so long became almost immediately its greatest attribute. We asked our contributors, who will include Peter McVitie, Gabriella Marcotti, Jan Mulby, Gags Tandon, Dan Rhodes, Paul Dalgleish, Jonathan Northcroft and Paul Tompkins, if they could think of a more impactful signing than Van Dyke, especially in the wake of the sneering that accompanied the enormous amount of money with which Liverpool parted to secure his services. In a moment you'll hear Jan Mulby tell you that for the Reds, Virgil was the one that was needed. And Paul Tompkins will insist that the decision not to panic by when the initial move for the player collapsed, the patience to wait for the right man, may have been one of the best moves in the club's history. However, we begin with the musings of Mr. Mercotti. I think certainly at the top level, there have been very few more impactful signings. Um... And I think very few signings that kind of d- defy the, the conventional wisdom. Um, I will hold my hand up. I've done it before. I was one of the people who sneered at the fee. I thought this is absolutely insane. Given, given Van Dyke's, um, given Van Dyke's fee, given Van, the injuries that he'd had, uh, given, um, given his age, uh, given the fact that, you know, it's it's generally rare for defenders who are, especially if they're athletic, uh, like and you know, and big and athletic, like Van Dyke, it's very rare for them to be late bloomers. And if you look at, you know, the number of caps for Holland, and we're talking Holland here, right? We're talking a not particularly good Holland as well. Uh, you know, when you look at the number of caps that he had, uh, and he's like 24, 25 years old, you kind of think, um, or, or before his 24th, 25th birthday, you kind of think, well, wait a minute, is everybody in Holland stupid that they can't see 
that this guy's really good. Um, so all those things together suggested to me that, you know, maybe there's something that the rest of us don't don't see or don't fully understand. And so therefore, you know, Liverpool are making a huge mistake and it's a huge gamble to spend so much time money on him. You know, you'd love him at 35, 40 million, but for that fee, you're like, whoa. Um, but guess what? I was wrong. All of us who held that view were wrong. Um, he's his ability to, to to stay fit, his charisma, his his leadership. Um, you know, we we knew the passing was there. What's really what's really impressed me, uh, and we knew the intelligence was there as well. Uh, but what's really impressed me is is his his timing, his ability to you know for for, for a guy that size. To be able to to also, you know, a, a guy that size will always be penalized in terms in terms of quickness, right? I mean, you know, a five foot eight guy will always get the first step over a guy who's six foot four, six foot five. Um, but Van Dyke is so smart in the way he in the way he makes up for that in in his anticipation, um, and. Yeah, his impact has been tremendous. I'll leave it to others to argue whether he's had more of an impact than uh, than Mohamed Salah. I I think probably in many ways he has. So what changed when Virgil came? I I, I mean I remember when he signed for Liverpool uh, and Jamie Carragher said, "Not no one player will change things." What well, he did, <laughs> uh, that's for sure. And he he came in, uh, and it was it was this thing about. First and foremost, as a footballer, you have to be able to do your own job. But then if you got a little bit extra, so you can help people around you. And that was the first thing. Actually, I noticed that when he was at Southampton. His ability to do his own job, but also his ability to look after people around him. And he did exactly the same at Liverpool. Yes, it was a step up. And there were things that... When we didn't get him in the summer, uh, in it, and in that August, we walked away from the deal. And a lot of people, and a lot of, including a lot of my former teammates, all said, well, if we can't get Van Dijk, surely we can find somebody else. But obviously, we decided that this was the one. Uh, and eventually, we got the one. And he's proved to be the one that we, we, we hoped he was going to be. Uh, he's been nothing short of, 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 of sensational. And again, a, a, a fella that I wouldn't suggest he's just dipped his toe in. You know, I think he's more or less at the level. Uh, where he's going to be at. Uh, but there's no suggestion to think that he won't be able to maintain this very high level uh, for the next many years. The massive transfer fee that Liverpool paid for him was really a contentious issue, but it wasn't something that, that really stuck out to me. It, it seemed like a natural <laughs> sort of thing for Southampton, first of all, to demand. I mean, um, Premier League clubs do have that that comfort, that ability to demand massive fees from from especially from rivals. Um, so it made sense for them when you're dealing with someone who, at that stage, was it was obvious to everybody. I mean, even before for me having followed them for so long, it had been for, obvious for some time. But by then, everybody could see that he was going to be or was already one of the best centre-packs in the world. So um, to for Liverpool to, to address a, an issue, that something that had been an issue for them for some time, with such a massive investment, it seemed yeah, natural for a club that has, that, that has the ability to achieve, well, what they've achieved so far. 
so it was pretty obvious that you were, that Liverpool were taking on one of the best defenders around, one who's still got some developing to do, some experience, and who would benefit from from playing with with in that style. So um, yeah, and uh, the impact that he's had has has really um, shown that uh, it was worth it. I mean, he's he's already made seventy two appearances and and throughout. It's hard to pick up pick out a bad performance so far. Uh, never mind the, the the dividend it's paid and, and the fact that they won the Champions League. Um, were so I mean you have to say unlucky really with, with the points total that they had to not and with losing just one game I think in the league uh, to not win the title. I mean it was only re- it was really kind of natural that well um, he was a, a an obvious choice for. For player of the year, uh, and uh, even if you can sympathise with the, the argument for Raheem Sterling as well, is he the signing that's made the biggest impact? Yeah, I think so, um, because he he just has carried himself with such a swagger, made such a big impact, and and thrived under under Jurgen Klopp, and been um, at the at the centre or at the heart of uh, the defence of of the Netherlands as well. So it's been just a phenomenal. Couple of years for him and, and a, a really steady rise, but it's all been one that he has uh, deserved and uh, a journey that he's been on for yeah, from very humble beginnings of of scrambling through the Valentine Youth Academy um, and then biking, cycling his way up to Groningen for for training sessions uh, to go on at the, the and reach the heights that he has. Is, I mean, speaks a lot about his ability and also the. The work rate that he that he's had to to really improve so steadily, despite the the changes that he's had, and that he was sort of overlooked for 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 quite a while. Virgil Van Dijk has been, you could argue that he has been Liverpool's greatest ever signing in terms of not just what he brings as a player, but what he has what he has brought. To all those around him as well. Um, I thought the fee again. I've, I've talked about inflation in the past, but you know, seventy-five million seems a lot. But you know, it, it, when Man United bought Rio Ferdinand, that you know, after inflation, that would work out about two hundred million. You know, that was a kind of he was sort of the British record at the time. You know, Van Dyke, I think, ranks sort of the eleventh most expensive centre-back in the Premier League era, era um, after inflation. So, you know, it, it, and, and that is because he was only at Southampton, you know, he was, you know, he wasn't playing in the Champions League. Other, other managers had looked at him in the past and thought he was too casual. So, you know, and, and again, at 21, 22, he, he was kind of just starting to make his way. He was late getting into the, to the Dutch team. So he's kind of like a real late bloomer and has just continued. He's improved those around him and those around him have improved him. Um, I just think, you know, he, he is, yeah, it's just what I found interesting. I remember arguing at the time, you know, once I started paying, paying attention to to him um, and then watching clips that summer that he was due to sign, I just thought, yeah, this guy, 
I think it was when I think actually when Mane went up against him in the League Cup, and every time Mane tried to do him for pace, he couldn't. And I was kind of like, you know, holy holy cow, you know, this is you know this is some player. And you know, in those games, he was just incredibly impressive. And I just thought, you know, he. And the other reason, one of the things I've been look, I've been looking at over the last few years is just how bad Liverpool have been in the air. You know, under Rodgers, there were so many small players, there were so many players that just weren't very good at aerial duels. We we couldn't defend set pieces, we couldn't defend from a long punt upfield. So what Liverpool needed was a somebody that was absolutely dominant in the air, but also had the pace that you could defend a higher line. And he wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't going to be kind of terrified if somebody kind of tries to run past him. Um, and so he could, he, you know, he could do pretty much everything. And and then when the deal fell through and people saying, oh, Klopp should buy someone else, Klopp should buy someone else. You know, this is, you go, if you go back, you'll find so much criticism of Klopp for not buying an alternate, you know, centre-back that summer and, and, and I think after Klopp had met Van Dyke, he knew, and Van Dyke knew, you know, this was this was the ideal for everyone. And I think that perhaps one of the best decisions that Liverpool have ever made was not to then, you know, go for some compromise because you know there, there just isn't a player in his class at everything. Just but he just has everything. So you know, I think that was. The smart thing was 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 waiting that extra six months and you know and getting it getting it over the line then. Well, I I I voted for Virgil Van Dijk um, in my mind as player as PFA Player of the Year because he has had the greatest impact of any player in any any club in England certainly in the last year maybe maybe the last few years. I mean, I actually voted for Sterling in the Football Writers Award because. That was more about um, that, that extra dimension off the pitch, and I think Sterling's been significant for social reasons in England. But going back to Van Dyke, um, he, he's—I wouldn't say he's transformed the team because there's been other very important players, and, and you know, Klopp's transformed the team, if anyone. But he has raised the team from one level to another, uh, and he's done it through example, and he's done it through class, and. Um, he is now a player that you just can't imagine the Liverpool team doing without. He, you know, he seems so essential now to um, everything that side does that, that it's hard to remember that he, he, he's only been at the club for 18 months or, 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 or less even. Um, it's, uh, I guess, the biggest thing, that, the biggest compliment you could pay Van Dijk is that he looks as important and he looks as assured and classy for Liverpool as he did playing in the Scottish League for, for Celtic. And I know a lot of people um, looked at him in Scotland and said, oh, well, look, look at him cruising through all these games. He's only doing that because of who he's playing against. And actually, the more you see a Virgil van Dijk, you realise he'd he'd cruise through a game against you know an all-time world eleven because that's what he is. And that element of assurance that he's given the team is invaluable. It's spread through... Um, players around him, and I think it is, he's got to a stage very quickly where it spreads into the minds of opponents, and you see strikers trying to play off the other centre back and, and avoid Virgil. And uh, what a compliment that is as a centre back. Van Dyke for me is 
probably the best centre-back in the world at this moment in time. He has been a fantastic signing for 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 Liverpool. Um, I'd, for me, the, the best player in the world is Messi. Um, and probably the best player I've ever seen is Messi. So for... For Van Dijk to be even considered in the conversation is a is a huge is a huge compliment to him. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's the most important signing in, in Liverpool's history. Uh, I think that the I think that's a massive discredit to the manager to to Jurgen Klopp because I think that although Van Dijk gets all the all the like a lot of people, it's a lazy opinion to accredit Van Dijk to the defensive success of of. Of Liverpool and quite disrespectful to, to Jurgen Klopp and, and and other players as well. As brilliant as Van Dijk is, the reason that Liverpool and Van Dijk has been showcased, the, the defensive record has been so good, and that Van Dijk has been showcased is because of the work that the players in front of him are doing to prevent service to as much as as much as anything. Um, but when Van Dijk has to defend, he is, in my opinion the best, if not the best, one of the best defenders um, in the world and in recent times in, in the Premier League. I mean, if, if you think about through the Premier League, who has, you know, you, you really, you start going back to Rio Ferdinand or, or John Terry and, and players of, of that level to really start thinking about, you know, maybe Vincent Kompany in his prime to really think of anybody who was even close to him. And and you know you think about okay Man United need a centre back Man City need a centre back and you you think round world football who could you know they're getting linked with Harry Maguire who's a fantastic player he's not better than Van Dijk in my opinion Koulibaly might be the only one at this moment in time that you could say okay might be at a similar level to Van Dijk but is older than Van Dijk you look at Varane at Real Madrid who hasn't had the best uh, of times recently, but at one point you thought he was going to be one of the better centre backs in the world. But you you've really got Dean's at the end of his career, uh, PK's at the end of his career. That there's you know when you think about it, who who can really compete with him? If if it's the Ballon d'Or, is it for the best player in the world, or is it for the player that has had the best season? It's very difficult to. It's very difficult to argue that Van Dijk hasn't had uh, an incredible season, but as much as I love Van Dijk, I would say that Messi, for me, is is the greatest player in the world, and, and that's who I would vote for for the Ballon d'Or. He's our centre-half. He's our number four. We watch him defend and we watch him score. My God, the, just the, the song is legendary. The The player is now a legend. Virgil van Dijk is going to go down in history as one of the most influential signings ever in terms of just turning a team around, you know, that kind of had, I don't know what it was, but there was something there that was hurting. It was just something that was broken at the back. And he steps in well, as soon as he joins. And as you would have heard us on on. And under pressure, something got fixed. Something just remarkably got better and better and better. And there's, you know, I think we've done for, you know, 38 game rolling stuff and things like that. And he's been in, since he's been in the team, 
the defence has just been at an immaculate level. Um, I think the best thing about Virgil, though, is 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 obviously he's he's an all round defender. Is as a defender, he's the best. Like I, like everybody else has said, he's the best in Europe. There is literally no doubt. As a defender, there's he's the best in Europe. But what makes him superior is how 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 he leads. He doesn't have to have the armband, but he can lead without it. He has specific celebrations with every single player. I don't know if many people pick up on these things. I do because I'm crazy. But he will go. He will wait until the full. He'll be in the. He'll he'll celebrate with every player. But he'll wait. He'll be the last one to wait for Mo or Mane to do their prayer, like they do after. And then when they get up, he has this handshake. He has a special handshake with every player. He has a special connection with each and every member of that team. He is the boss. He is the big man. That's what they call him. Even the captain of the team. Jordan Henderson calls him the big man. And when you have the big man standing behind you, you feel a bit more secure. So all those people in front of him feel like they have a weight taken off their shoulders and they play like they have that weight taken off their shoulders. And this year, it feels like he's just had everything on his shoulders and he's just said, you go boys, you go do this. I'm here. I got my man behind me who's probably got bigger shoulders than I have. But you know what? We'll carry this. You go and do what you want. One moment, the bit where he takes on two players on his own and he says, you know what, it's okay. You got, you ain't got a left foot. I'm letting you go on your left foot and I'll block off, son. It's genius. It's genius. He explains himself after the game as well. He tells you how he thinks. When you tell, when a player, when a man can tell you how he thinks and he can explain his certain decisions on a pitch so quickly like that, it tells you that he is... 100% switched on and a master of his art, a master of his art. And that is what we have in Virgil at the back. He's one of the most important players we'll ever buy, for sure. Um, you know, and, and he is one of the heroes of the season, again, for sure. But in this era, in Jurgen Klopp's era, he will be the signing that everyone in the, in the future points to as the one who turns it around. And if we end up going to win a league title, I'm sure Virgil will have a massive, massive hat, you know, role to play. The goals, you know, everything. That's why the song has everything. He can pass the the pass against for against, uh, Bayern, for Mane, the swerve on it, the whole vision of it. <sighs> you just, you just, how do you, how do you talk about this player without gushing? Without gushing, and again, another unbelievable human being. The partnership with Joe Gomez, the partnership, like I said, with everybody, they just love him and they feel secure with him. And the biggest thing that was missing was that security. We are now secure. We are now champions of Europe. Jonathan Northcroft there is very much on the money with his assessment of how Virgil has raised the team from one level to another through example and class. And Gags Tandon sums up the feelings of so many fans when he says that Van Dyke is the boss, a player that has won our collective hearts by being 100% switched on and a master of his art. But what are the key strengths that had seen him ascend to the very pinnacle of his profession? This Irishman has never seen a more commanding defender wear the red in decades, if ever. 
But what did our guests think? Listen now as Paul Dalgleish focuses on the Dutchman's perfection in 1v1 battles. What's my old mucker Jan Malby will insist that attackers coming up against Van Dijk feel like they're running full speed into a brick wall. But it's Dave Hendrick who gets the ball rolling with his take on why Virgil is priceless. With Virgil van Dijk, I think what we're seeing is a player setting new standards for what it is to be a centre-back and what it is to be a Liverpool player. We have gotten so used to having mediocre players over the past few years that when Virgil comes in and 8 out of 10 is just his standard game, we've almost started to take it for granted. And I don't think he actually, despite all the praise he's getting, I actually don't think it's enough. I don't think people are giving him enough praise for his impact. He has improved everybody around him. Every centre-back who plays in him, be it Matip, be it Gomez, be it Dejan Lovren, be it Fabinho, they all look a lot better with him than they do with anybody else at club or national level. Um, He's quite clearly the best centre-back in the world. There is no weakness to his game. He is good at literally everything. And I... I even think there's aspects of his game that we're not seeing, like his ability to carry the ball out of the back. I think he leaves that to to Matip and Virgil, we, or Matip and Joe, rather. We see him do it a bit more when he plays with Lovren, uh, because Lovren's not that type of player, that Virgil will carry the ball and become a bit more of a link player as he moves forward. Um, but his leadership is the big thing, and, and his effect on, you know, be it Andy Robertson or Trent or Joe or, or Matip, on those in front of him, and you know he's constantly talking, he's organising, he lets everybody know where they're meant to be. But as I said, he's setting the standard, so he's holding people accountable as well, and we haven't had that. We haven't had leadership at this club for uh, quite a while. And when people make mistakes, or even when he makes mistakes, you can tell that he is addressing that mistake straight away. He's not letting it fester, he's not letting it become a thing where it's the middle of the week before anybody talks about it. He's addressing it there and then, and making sure that the person who's made the mistake knows it's not acceptable. And by doing that, he ups everybody's game. No one wants to have the big, massive, huge man shouting at them. Who wants that? Who wants that in their life? So you're obviously just going to make sure you don't make that mistake again. Um, his ability is is unprecedented in terms of what he can do. I, I, I don't know that we've ever seen a centre-back who's his height, his build, has that kind of pace and that kind of ability on the ground, as well as being a pretty flawless defensive player. Um, his long-range passing is is incredible. His ability to pass the ball with his head is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Um, he just makes everybody better, and he makes us so much better. And we paid $75 million for him, having spent a long time trying to get him, and everybody laughed. And I think the biggest indicator that that signing is a runaway success is the fact that, well, Obviously, we won the Champions League, so that's massive. But nobody mentions the fee anymore. And if they do, it's in the context of, wow, Liverpool did really well to get him for just £75 million. What's he worth to them now? And the answer is he's priceless. He is absolutely priceless. He is our most important player. He is our best player. He's the best player in England. And he's the best centre-back in the world. I think there's many qualities you need uh, to be a really, really good centre-half. There's just been a lot of, of, of good centre-halves over the years with limited qualities or being very good at one or two things. So the majority of centre-halves you see are strong in one-on-one, one-against-one situation. They're strong in the air. They're sort of, of commanding. Uh, but 
Van Dyke is commanding in a different way to all these. It just becomes so natural to the way that he plays. Uh, and, and, and when he steps across uh, attacker to, to take the ball off his feet, it's done in a commanding way. But it's not something that he tries to emphasize when he does it, whereas other people will, will do that. He just does it as the most natural thing in the world. And I think that that not only lifts him, lifts the teammates around him, but also think to a certain extent it demoralizes the people that he plays against. You only have to listen to what Troy Deeney said about him. Uh, and, and, and I believe that when you come up against somebody like him, who just has that little bit extra in terms of you talk, we talk about he can run, he can head, he can tackle and whatever, but you'll come up against many of center halves in a season that can do that. But it's that little bit extra to do with your personality where you go, there's nothing he's going to break this guy. There's no way I can upset him. There's no way I can get him into a situation where he's going to feel uncomfortable. So really, it is a bit like running full speed in, into a brick wall. He is just an all-round uh, solid and capable defender. There isn't really a massive, obvious weakness to him, which I, I guess is a, a strength in itself. His reading of the game is is pretty sound as well as the the obvious strength that he's got the obvious um, muscle to him and the, the advantage that he has in the air from his from his height the way that he's just consistently improved and added to his game throughout the his spells uh, uh, in the Eredivisie and then a completely different league uh, in Scotland where he added a, even more of the attacking Noose to his game that, that still sort of shines through for Liverpool and for the Netherlands. Yeah, he's always sort of seemed to be able to be capable of growing into the into the player that he is. He is so convincingly fulfilling his potential that I think it speaks to really everything that he's got. I mean, defenders now have to be aware of of so many things, not just uh, uh, physical challenges and, and marking their own players, but the, the system that they play in is is so key and that is so important for Liverpool that he he un, he understands it to to the extent that he really makes a massive impact in, in how their defence plays. So the fact that he's got everything in his physique uh, as well as everything that sort of goes along with his in, intelligence as a natural defender is combines to be just a yeah an all-round superhuman defender almost. His key strengths for me is 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 ability to defend 1v1. So, the look, Liverpool are perfect for for Van Dijk and Van Dijk is perfect for Liverpool. So, Van Dijk's strengths are in 1v1 matchups. He's bigger than you, he's stronger than you, he's faster than you, uh, he can probably jump higher than you. He, he's just an incredible... Uh, an incredible profile for a central defender. I mean, if you were to design a centre-back and you were just say, this is what the perfect centre-back looks like, you basically you basically take Van Dijk and then you, you work from there. And so the reason Liverpool is such a good match for Van Dijk is because Liverpool force everything central. So now Van Dijk because the service is coming to Van Dyke in a straight line, then he gets to see the defender. Sorry, he gets to see the attacker and the ball, and now everything's in front of him, and he can see. 
everything in front of him. And when he can see the player and the ball, he is the undoubtedly the best in the world for me. Um, when Liverpool force inside and they're so narrow because they get numbers central and they protect the middle of the field and they try and encourage people to, to play central so that they can hit you in transition, they do leave space on the outside. So if the opposition manage to get the ball wide into a crossing position, Van Dijk is brilliant at going to a zonal position and attacking and winning the ball in the air from crosses. So the two the two tactics that or, or two of the, the main two of the main things that Van Dijk is elite at are two of the things that Liverpool do defensively. Uh, sorry, two of the things that Liverpool uh, uh, are exposed to defensively with the way that they defend. So I can see why Liverpool waited for Van Dijk, why Jurgen waited for Van Dijk, why he was the guy they wanted, because for the style that Liverpool play, he really is the perfect defender. When when uh, Van Dijk, you know, when you see that Van Dijk is a human, is when there is movement behind him and when there's angle attacks. I think if you saw in, in the Barcelona game where they were they were able to play through the press and now you've got people in between lines being able to play little angle passes and people are running behind Van Dijk. That's when you see that Van Dijk is a human and that he's not perfect. And that is the that is the areas where where he could improve would be his awareness to see runs in and around him. However, it's also the bit that gets exposed least because of the defensive structure of Liverpool. So is the keys for Van Dijk for me are his ability to defend 1v1. There's nobody better in the world. His ability to defend crosses from a zonal position. Again, probably no one better in the world. So those two things are the reason that make him so special. Defensive-wise, his biggest tool, I suppose, is a very traditional one. And it's it's his ability in the air. I've seldom seen I've seldom seen a player in English football and, and you know English football is an aerial based game, but as as good and assured as he is in in aerial battles, in fact I can't really remember him losing a a header all season. That's a very basic skill, but it's a great foundation to have. On top of that, he reads the game wonderfully well, um, and the burst of pace that he's got. For a big guy, is extraordinary. We saw the recovery that he made against Son in the, in the Champions League final, which was a kind of wow, wow factor moment. Um, but you know, it's actually hard to think of of of, of sort of weaknesses that he's got because he can tackle, he can time a tackle. Um, his uh, his positioning is very very good, and of course he can he can play off both feet. He's he's an absolute Rolls Royce, and that's. Not a very original thing to say, Van Dyke, but it's probably the best description. He's an absolute Rolls Royce of a centre back. Van Dyke, he, lit- he literally does have it all. He, um, you know, it, it, I think he, he was recorded as the quickest player in the Champions League this season, and yet you, you don't, you don't see him rely on his pace. He doesn't, he doesn't think, oh, I, you know, I don't need to worry about this situation. I'm quick, I can get back. You know, he his reading of the game is brilliant. His positioning is brilliant. And very occasionally he'll get caught out. But if you saw what he did to Son in the Champions League final, and Son was, you know, what was it, 64 games that nobody dribbled past. And, don't, and you think, you know, 
Son has done him. Son is as quick as hell and Son has done him. But no, you know, Van Dijk got back. You know, one of my favourite moments of the season was Adama Traore trying to do, you know, who is supposedly the quickest player in the Premier League, trying to do Van Dijk for pace. And then you just think, you know, Van Dijk normally kind of just, he just shuffles along a lot of the time. And then he just thinks, right, okay, afterburner's on and, you know, catches him no problem. And I think to have that, to have one of the, you know, the very, very best aerial dual success rates in the Premier League season after season, you know, to have to have those in particular, because I think aerially, as I said, Liverpool, it's where they've struggled in the past, where they struggled under Rodgers. Um, and I think, you know, he's a brilliant footballer. He, he His passing out from the back is sensational. He can bring the ball into midfield, although John Matip, when he's in the team, tends to do that more. But, you know, Van Dijk can can move into the midfield if the game is calling for it. He can move, you know, he's played, you know. Somebody was saying, I, I, I described him playing as number 10 and surely he should have been playing as number nine. But actually he doesn't, he's gone up front, but he's not gone right into, you know, sort of Andy Carroll mode. He's kind of like, you look at the shots he's had from the edge of the box, he'll kind of, you know, he'll make his way forward um in that sense as well so um but his but his, his calmness and composure what was perhaps him being too laid back when he was young which probably worked against him but he just yeah he just brings a sense of um a sense of calm um he made, he made a few mistakes in the season maybe you know three or four you know badly at fault for the goal that Fulham um scored but you know, uh, overall, what, what I mean, when, when we signed him, I thought I, I wrote that he he would be worth a twenty-goal swing for Liverpool, ten, ten, you know, um, off the goals against, and I thought I thought he could get ten goals a season, you know, after certainly after he scored in his debut, and um, and then actually he probably was worth twenty goals off off you know twenty goals off the amount we we concede. Um, and then until halfway through the season, wasn't really adding adding the goals. But then I think he got six goals from sort of December onwards, something like that, um, and also got assists. So you know he's just he's just the you know arguably the complete player. And um, yeah, I just think he's he's absolutely outstanding. I've got I've got some I've got some elite world class stats about Virgil Van Dijk. Um, Player of the Year, possible Ballon d'Or winner, and I'm going to start by saying it. I'm going to start by saying I do, and there's some amazing ones, but I don't think the stats I've got represent just how good this man is, because as Mr. Kenny always says, so much of defending isn't recorded, so much of defending is off the ball, so much of it is positioning, it's in your head, it's reading the game, and stats just don't capture a lot of it. But still, they capture plenty with Virgil. So, 4,818 4, minutes. The most uh, of any outfield player, as Brundish tweeted, the most in any of Europe's top leagues when you include internationals. 20 clean sheets, 22 goals conceded. Virtually identical to Alisson because both of them played all the minutes, 167 minutes. I think Virgil went off in one game. Um, 74% of his aerial duels 
that's just an incredible elite European rep, one of the best in Europe, especially in the, for the quality of division we're playing and the type of football that is always expected to play. So many teams are playing that kind of route one football. A lot of te- teams in the Premier League, especially the bottom six or seven, that's what they were doing all season. We were talking about the numbers with Troy Deeney having 29 aerial duels and stuff. 237 aerial duels at Virgil had this season in the Premier League and he won 175. I can't recall which ones he lost. So he lost, it says he lost about 50 on. Can't recall them. Don't remember any of them. Amazingly, he won 97.4% of his 39 tackles. That has a little bit more validity with the centre-back because of the rules on it going out of play. But who did he lose the tackle against? Was it was it the Saturday pen that he conceded? I'm not sure. One error on the ball that led to a goal. There might have been a couple more off the ball, but with the amount of minutes. Um, and I hope we, I'm going to talk about the, the uh, Matip dribbles. And it's often a thing that's associated with Matip and people are focusing on it with him and saying, hey, he does it brilliantly. Well, Virgil had 12 dribble attempts this season. 75% of them were successful. That means he just dribbles through, beats a man, and then <laughs> gives it to him. Ridiculous. He also had 143 touches in the opposition's final third. What's all that about? And that's just in the league. Um, he created three big chances again in the league, ended up with two assists. And in all comps, he scored assisted or hockey assisted every 344 minutes with a big chance conversion rate of 75%, uh, which I've got to admit, it surprised me because I can remember talking on some tactics pods about him missing chances, but maybe they weren't qualified as big chances. Um, Two of his goals were big goals, which is either the goal that goes ahead or the equaliser. And for a centre-back, he was involved in 13% of our goals. Just... What is all that about? Um, perhaps for a team that presses so much, Virgil pressed the fewest. Under two presses per 90. An efficiency of 97%, because obviously everything he does, he does to virtual perfection. But it's, it, just, it doesn't commit. doesn't commit to press. He's the one watching the others doing it. And from that, he still managed to start four counter-attacks, three of which led to a shot. But of course... The biggest stat that everyone's talked about with Virgil. and Well, no, I think there's two. There's the one where he didn't lose an aerial duel for about 20 games at Anfield. But this one, not being dribbled past for 64 games for Liverpool, is arguably the most ridiculous stat I've ever heard for a defender. Not being dribbled past 64 games. We used to have a holding midfielder who was dribbled past twice a game. And a centre-back now doesn't get dribbled past for 64 games. Uh, it's... Someone was telling me the other day that he did get a dribble passed in an international by Leroy Sane. I didn't see it. doesn't count for me. Um, but yeah, what can we say about Big Verge? Is uh, Dan Kennett's toy boy. He's <laughs> Virgil van Dijk. I've actually wondered, you know, who do you, who would I compare him to as, as, as a defender um, uh, from the past? You know, who who is Van Dijk like? I... I I think in some ways Van Dyke reminds me, in terms of how he plays the game, he reminds me a little bit of um, of Alessandro Nesta. Um, he's not necessarily as 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 quick with the first step as as Nesta was. Um, although um, you know, again, he's 
a couple more inches and is carrying a little bit more more weight in terms of muscles than uh, than, than Nesta was. But both have this this tremendous ability to, um, to to recover and to read the play. And what that does is that has a multiplier effect on your athletic abilities um, because you get that that extra you know half a step. It's kind of the, the reverse of the old, you know, Van Nistelrooy argument where people said, oh, look, he's slow, but his brain is fast. And so he gets to the ball first. Um, Nesta did that, did that exceptionally. Uh, and Nesta also had a, a very similar type of physical presence. Obviously, he's not as big, but you always knew, you always knew where he was. Um, but then in other ways, of course, he's, he's different, you know, he's, probably better not probably he is better on the ball than uh, than nesta was he's he's certainly better in the air so then you know you start thinking of of other defenders who who have his aerial prowess uh he's probably more of a talker and and a leader and more charismatic than nesta was as well um so you know you you kind of need to put all those all those factors uh together uh, to, to to come up with uh, uh, to, to come up with what Van Dyke brings to the pe- to, brings to the table, um, and I think there's there's another intangible factor which you know when when I was younger I started out in this profession and, and started talking to people I always to some degree kind of laughed it off because um, because it was metaphysical and you couldn't really see it necessarily, but. Um, increasingly I start to think that is important, which is he provides a chemistry and an assurance that makes players around him, around him better. Um, and I invited somebody who, who's a longtime scout actually, uh, said, you know, next time you see Liverpool play in person, look out for this. And, um, uh, you don't always notice it on television because it's off the ball. So I invite every Liverpool fan to, to look at this. If you if you look, especially when Liverpool are being attacked on the flanks or or in midfield and somebody's under pressure, um, if instead of looking at what's happening with the ball, you look at Van Dyke, look at his body, look to see if he if he stiffens up, if he stays loose, um, how he reacts, if he starts taking a half step one way or half step the other way. Um, he has this incredible ability to to read what's going to happen, um, and it and it gives his players confidence. Um, I, I I remember I, I watched the game with this the scout who who then then we showed me the video afterwards and what it was was I think it was Milner it was some interplay between Milner and. And then Robertson, and they were under pressure from from the other team. And he showed me how Matip actually looks across to to Van Dyke, and he sees he sees Van Dyke not really reacting, um, but taking up a, a slightly more relaxed position to to receive the ball rather than moving towards it to, to cover in case they lose it, and. Matip kind of adjusts his positioning um, accordingly. And what it was, was it was, as, as he put it, he says Matip unconsciously knows that Van Dyke's like, okay, I'm going to take this position because I can deal with it. And that then frees Matip to, 
to to make to, to to take a different position, to make a different decision, one that's more helpful for the team as a whole. If Liverpool are going to win the ball, and if they lose the ball, that he knows there's cover. And you know, you can often see players when the ball comes to some of their teammates, they'll stiffen up, they'll they'll, they'll get more concerned because unconsciously they know you know there there might be danger coming. With Van Dyke, you always Van Dyke kind of almost gives off these signals to his teammates about whether there's a dangerous situation starting up or no, there's actually an opportunity because while so-and-so looks to be in trouble, he's about to break the press or whatever. And, you know, that's an intangible that you really, you really can't put a, can't put a price on. Don't you love it when writers get eloquently loquacious? I'm a massive fan of Gabriele Marcotti's focus on the intangible factor that is Van Dyke's metaphysical provision of chemistry and assurance to those around him with his incredible ability to read what's going to happen. Lovely stuff. It is precisely these impressive attributes that have made Manny want to see our centre-half given a more traditional leadership role at the club. Only today, for example, I watched a video of him paternally applying sunscreen to Ox and Andy Robbo. What a fella. Where, we asked our garrulous contributors, did they stand on the very understandable calls for this real leader of men to be made captain? Jan Mulby leads this particular section with his insistence that Virgil in the armband is the most natural thing in the world. Captain or not for Virgil, eh? I mean, that's the one thing that everybody talks about. Uh, I, I'm actually surprised he hasn't been named as, as, as the captain as of yet. I thought it would have happened at the start of the... 2018-2019 season. I just thought it was it was the most natural thing uh, in the world. And, you know, elite sport is true. Uh, and I know he would have upset Jordan Henderson because he's ever so proud of, of being the captain of Liverpool. Uh, but as I said before, elite sport is cruel. Uh, and to the day he gets the captaincy, I'll keep banging on that same drum and saying, Jurgen Klopp doesn't make many... I'm not suggesting this is a mistake, but this is a decision I would make if I was the manager, I would make Van Dijk the captain. It would just make so much sense. Plus the fact that every game he's available, he plays. Uh, so it would make a lot of sense. But I guess for as long as Jordan is there, uh, we, we, we might have to wait a little bit. But one thing is for sure, uh, he's a ready-made captain. There's no doubt about that. He's the captain of the Dutch team at the moment. Uh, a crucial period for them. Uh, at a time where they have uh, a lot of really good and exciting players, but he's the obvious star. With the way he's really embedded himself as just a, a leader in the in the Liverpool team and uh, in the dressing room, you can see as well, and, and has the respect of of Jurgen Klopp and basically everybody. I mean, I, you hear it from I hear it from his national teammates. Everybody seems to have this just immense respect for him even when he was at Celtic you got the same thing and he was he was still young there you've got to think that it's going to happen it does seem imminent um eventually that he will be given the, the armband because he's he I mean he, he's been doing it everywhere he was captain of 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 Southampton yeah he's he has he's always been recognized as as such a a strong and commanding leader um partly because he is like he just seems so serious uh <laughs> he is like a no nonsense type guy um and i think that that shines in the way he he does his job but also carries himself on the field as just being a always aware composed figure i'm one of those who says you don't need a little piece of cloth to be to be a captain and a leader um i think what's more important 
is the dressing room, um, how the players view it, um, and what they consider to be important. Um, I like Jordan Henderson is is a fraction of the player that Van Dyke is. I, 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 he's the best possible player, and he's very useful to, to to Liverpool. But you know, he's simply not as good, and and people know that. Um, but equally, were he to lose the captaincy, it might affect him. It might affect him badly. So I think. Henderson keeping the captaincy, no issue whatsoever. You know, it's important to him. I don't think it bothers Van Dyke in the slightest. Um, And it also shows that a player like Henderson, who might not have the ability that that some of his teammates have, um, brings other qualities to the table, and those qualities get rewarded. So, to me, this is a little bit of a of a a spurious um, of a spurious argument. You know, they're they're both leaders. Um, unquestionably, and they both bring different things to the table. On the issue of Van Dyke being captain, I personally have absolutely no what you know desires to see that. No worries about um, if he becomes captain in the long run. That's great, but um, I like the way you know. Klopp has Henderson and then Milner and then he let the players vote and then they went for for the for the for the kind of like the deputy captains and then players voted for Van Dyke and Genie Wijnaldum. Um, I'm not somebody that's particularly interested in, you know, uh, who, who the captain is. I don't think it's that important. I, I think it, it's important to a degree in that you know that person has to set the tone and you can't, you know, you can't give it to somebody who doesn't pull their weight. Um, but Jordan Henderson is Liverpool's captain. I'm totally fine with that. Milner's vice captain. Milner will, in time, obviously play less. Van Dijk becomes vice captain. I think that's great. Obviously, he is a complete natural leader. But I think when you have those those players in the team, you've got them anyway. I don't, you know, I don't see, um, you know, and, and Liverpool have various captains of their countries or captains of their previous clubs. You know, it's. It's about everyone, you know, having a good attitude and everyone, everyone trying to, you know, doing taking responsibility on the pitch and everyone leading. So, you know, I'm not, you know, so it's it's yeah, it's vaguely important, but it's not for me, you know. I, I do you know what I mean? Really, if, if whoever the manager thinks should be captain um, is is fine with me. And if if Van Dyke would turn around and say, if you don't make me captain, I'll leave. And I'll, I'll say, well, leave then, because, you know, if you don't want to be at Liverpool, I don't care who you are. Um, you know, I mean? having said that, I'd probably then crap myself if you did. <laughs> but, you know, what I, mean? it, you know I, I think, you, you know what I mean? It, it, if, if anybody has that burning, if anybody wants to be Liverpool captain, great. If they have the, the ego where they, they must be captain or it's a, it's a disgrace, then I'm not, you know, I'm not really with that. I don't think there's any need to, to rush and, and uh, deprive Jordan Henderson of the captaincy, in all honesty. I think Jordan Henderson's uh, personality, not just on the pitch, but around the football club, is, is enormous and is only underestimated by people who don't know the club closely enough. You speak to any Liverpool player, 
they will tell you that that, that Hendo has got this uh, ability to lead that that wows them, and that that goes for all of them. So Virgil van Dijk doesn't need the armband. He doesn't need to to have to take that off. Jordan Henderson, he will be a leader um, whether he's got the armband or not. Um, he he leads just by his personality and and his example on the pitch. I can understand um, the, the the fears of every supporter that somehow this this special player might be taken away and everything has to be done to try and keep him. But you've got to remember that, that you know that first of all the strategic nature of Van Dijk that you could see in the way he plays and the strategic nature that brought him to Liverpool. He he waited for Liverpool as a club. It wasn't just that Liverpool waited for him. He waited for Liverpool and he chose Liverpool ahead of Manchester City. And this is a club he wants to play for. This is a club where he pictured himself at. And I don't see that relationship being broken anytime soon. So, um, you know, as Virgil himself would say, just, just calm guys. You know, I think he's going to be there for a while. Now, I won't lie to you, listener. I had a moment of high anxiety there when Paul Tompkins started playing pretty fast and loose with a hypothetical Virgil van Dijk departure scenario. But it was very encouraging to hear so many of our guests speak about how the Reds have leadership all over the park. A reminder of what a wonderful team the real leader, Jurgen Klopp, has assembled. In our final segment, we turned our attention to the fact that Virgil is universally admired and obsessed over by fans of our rivals and by the players that represent them. Just how much of a draw will it be, we asked our perspicacious panellists, for potential defensive signings to dream of playing alongside the big man in a successful LFC side. Mr Tompkins gets things going here by comparing the draw of Van Dijk to that of Steven Gerrard. Van Dijk, he gives Liverpool a, the kind of draw that someone like Steve Gerrard, players wanted to come and play um, with Steven Gerrard and I think that if you can have those amazing players but it but but where they aren't too egotistical you know that it's all about them I, I think you know having stars having big names is a good thing but I, I like the way that it's kind of all you know more organic in that they're you know Van Dyke wasn't and Salah you know these players weren't as exalted as they are now so they've you know these players become outstanding players um because of the environment and and i think you know for me it's more about klopp can can attract you know the players um having mentioned gerard obviously in the past was it tony cruz that Rogers asked Gerard to, to phone up. Now, if the manager, you know, if the manager hasn't got that cachet himself, then that's you know, and that's a problem. Then you perhaps need the the other players to want to come and play with your best players. But I think at the moment, you know, players will want to come and play for Klopp. They want to play alongside players like Van Dijk, um, and yeah, I, you know, and I'm, you know, I. I I think that the kind of player that we want as well has to want to play for Liverpool, has to want, you know, has to want to to improve themselves, uh, not just turn up to kind of win some trophies. Um, so, you know, say Van Dijk is all part of the, 
all part of the selling point, all part of the the you know the 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 aura that the club is given off right now. And I think you know, and then and then you know on 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 sort of slightly different level. Obviously, then if there's any top Dutch players coming along, you would you know you would think so. Someone like Delict has been linked with Liverpool, and you would think that yeah, he would. He would definitely want to play for Liverpool. He would definitely want to play alongside Van Dijk. Whether Liverpool, with Gomez and their Matip's improvement, would want Delict is another is another story. Then you've got, you know, is Delict going to go somewhere else for the money? You know, so you've got issues like that. But I think that, you know, if Delict had a slightly different agent, perhaps, then. You know, his only ambition would be to play alongside someone like Van Dijk for a team like Liverpool. But you know, um, but yeah. So I think you know, I think the stature of, of Van Dijk, the more, the, you know, the more great players who are also great people that you have in your team. I think you know that can only be a good thing. It's going to be a big draw for for a lot of young players, especially young players who want to who want to develop. I mean, the influence that he's had alongside, say, Matthijs de Ligt in the, in the Netherlands team has been massive. De Ligt has, has risen from being responsible for uh, a 2-0 defeat in, against Bulgaria in his first game to now being you know, a, a massively important player in the team and one that they can rely on. And part of that has been because of the way he's played alongside Van Dijk and the the leadership abilities of, of Van Dijk, I guess. And, yeah, I mean, it's that old adage that you have to, you can imp- you improve alongside uh, alongside the best players or against them. And, I mean, you'd much rather be on Van Dijk's team than, than against them. Uh, even uh, recently, the goalkeeper, Alison Becker, was saying that he just scares the opposition. And I think you can, you can see that with not just his frame, but... The way he plays as well, and even De Ligt has talked about the uh, prospect of pl- playing alongside him at Liverpool, and and sounded positive about it. So De Ligt is in a rare situation of of being uh, wanted by just about everybody. Other defenders are always going to see that as a as a draw as well as a factor as well. I mean, if you suit that style and and you want to play alongside the best, I mean, Van Dijk is one who. Just seems to have a, an influence on everybody around them. That yeah, I think that most defenders would relish the chance to to partner him at the moment. To to, to play at Liverpool and if Peter defenders play alongside Van Dijk is 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 a massive draw. I think there'll be a lot of young people or young players out there who who might dream. Could I ever? Uh, but of course, you need to tell them in the in the, in the first place. So make no mis- mistake that when when we look uh, for new young centre halves. Uh, the fact that Van Dijk is there and the improvement he's made since he's come to Liverpool is very, very important. Uh, the one thing I like about Van Dijk, and I actually had a, the same thing when I was at Anfield and I played with John Barnes, they, 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 they sort of know how good they are, but it doesn't bother them in any way, shape or form. They win individual awards, they get man of the match uh, time and time again, but it doesn't really bother them. Uh, they, they still keep their feet on the ground. They're very, very grounded. And I think Van Dijk, in terms of that, is 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 very similar to the way that John was. John knew personally how good he was, and I think Van Dijk knows how good he is. But he never gives you that impression. He he never has to to show off to his teammates. He never has to show off in games. He just does his job. 
But I mean, Virgil van Dijk's the best, best defender in the world for sure at the moment. And, and who wouldn't want to play with the best in that position? Uh, I, I think he will attract players to want to come and play with them. I think players will be aware of how Joe Gomez grew alongside him, how Joe Matic grew alongside him, um, and the influence he's had on Matthias De Ligt at, at, at the international level. Um, I think if you sign for Liverpool to play alongside Virgil van Dijk, you know your job's going to be just that little bit easier than, you know, let's say if you're signing for Man United to play alongside Marcus Rocco. So um, it's, of course, he's going to be a draw. The top players want to play with with, with um, other top players, and um, you know Van Dijk is, is is a symbol in Liverpool now, and he's going to be a symbol for for a number of years. And, and one of the, the you know if he does win the Ballon, of course that will just in, increase things further and and make him that attraction. Um, and you know footballers also appreciate footballers. And one of the things about Virgil Van Dijk is that. As Eric Black said to me once, he, you know, he could play number 10. He's such a good footballer on top of the defensive stuff. Um, and players watch that. Players, players see class and want to play with it. So, um, if there wasn't enough in terms of, you know, coming to play with Jurgen Klopp, coming to play Anfield, um, coming to play with Mo Salah, I think Van Dyke's another calling card for the club to use. Mr. Northcroft is quite correct. Virgil van Dijk has indeed, in a remarkably brief space of time, become a symbol of Liverpool. And if, as he intimates, class footballers are drawn to L4 due to his presence, well, who are we to get in their way? Game, as they say, recognise game. Our statuesque centre-half has had an impact on the club as instantly profound as any in its history. Perhaps only a certain Mr Dalgleish, with his deftly dinked finish to claim big ears at the end of his first season, can lay claim to a more glorious and significant early influence. For a defender, regardless of his outlandish talent, to even be in the conversation for the Ballon d'Or is a testament to the impression Van Dijk has made on the world stage and as his status elevates, the club's rises alongside it. It's not difficult to see him clutching more important trophies in the near future as his anthem echoes around the ground and into eternity. We hope you've enjoyed this tribute to our Dutch master. Once more, I've been Trev Downey, and if you'll excuse me, I'm off to send t-shirts emblazoned with the words unbearable and my smug face to all the numpties who are so desperate for the Reds to fail. So that's nice, isn't it? Keep your eyes peeled and your ears pinned back for news of the next in our Kings of Europe series, which will be with you presently. And in the meantime, be kind to your fellow champions of Europe and stay safe out there.
Wow, that was a brilliant, wasn't it? I hope you did enjoy that. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, the Kings of Europe season so far. Obviously, we have had the free episode of Jurgen Klopp on Off the Wall already right at the start. There is a Klopp part two. And there's also shows on uh, Alison, Trent, Andy Robertson, uh, Virgil van Dijk, which you've just heard, Joe Gomez, Joel Matip and Jordan Henderson available now over on Anfield Index Pro. So that's www.anfieldindex.com forward slash join. And you can listen to all those shows completely free as part of the seven-day free trial. And there'll be more of these on the rest of the team, the midfielders, and we've got that intriguing, uh, well-beating front three to discuss as well. So that's all still to come. So what a great time to go and start taking part in all the content that we have on Anfield Index. Thanks for listening. And until next time, up the reds. Podcast Network.